It's something we work toward. I don't know that we ever really fully reach that place where we fully and accurately emulate Jesus, and that we are following truly in the footsteps of Jesus. But that's, that's our calling, and that's our goal. That's what we want to do, and I think that's what Jesus has called us to do. During the war, a church in Strasbourg, Germany, was totally destroyed except a statue of Christ that was inside this church or this cathedral, as we might call it. The whole place was destroyed, and after the war, they decided to to build the cathedral back up. And a famous sculptor said, I can redo this, this statue of Christ because it had lost its hands. The statue was in in pristine condition except the hands of Christ on the statue were gone and this famous sculptor said I can rebuild those hands on this statue and the people who belonged to that church got together and they decided no we want to leave it just as it is for Christ has no hands but our hands they said they said leave the statue exactly like it is without hands because we are the hands of Christ If we don't feed the hungry, if we don't give drink to the thirsty, if we don't entertain strangers and visit the imprisoned, if we don't clothe those in need, who will do it? No, that's a good reminder, they said to us, because we are the hands of Christ. Have you ever thought about your hands being the hands of Christ? Have you ever thought about what that might look like, what that might mean in your life? I think if you allow yourself to go there, one of the questions you have to ask is, okay, what does that mean? What did Jesus do? Where were his hands at work? How did Jesus use his hands? If I have the hands of Christ, then what am I supposed to do? Well, we get a great insight into what the hands of Christ did from a certain man that we read about in Luke chapter 5 that really is representative of all of us, of all of humanity in many ways. His story is quite interesting. We just read it a few moments ago. Let's go back there. In Luke chapter 5, if you have a Bible, turn there. Luke 5 verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Interesting word choice there. The man says, you can make me clean. That's what he's asking for. You need to understand the significance of this man's condition. Leprosy was a highly infectious disease, and they had no cure for it, and they had no way of controlling it back then. And so if someone was diagnosed or just thought to have leprosy, this, this deadly skin disease, they were ostracized from the community. In fact, many times they were sent to live outside of the community on their own or possibly with other people suffering from the same condition. You say, well, that seems kind of extreme, doesn't it? Well, actually, this response is informed by the law of Moses. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkept. Cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. Do you remember what the man asked Jesus 
to do? To make him clean. Verse 46, as long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. You see, this man in Luke chapter 5 was socially, ceremonially, religiously, spiritually unclean. And he was probably sent to live outside of the community. And on top of that, many of his peers, the other Jewish people, likely associated his condition with his own sinfulness. Man, what did that guy do? He must have really made God mad because look what God has done to him. Man, this guy is an awful sinner. And so he is a social outcast. He is going through this incredibly painful skin disease that just eats away at his joints, at his skin. On top of that, he can't go into the temple to worship like everybody else. He can't go into the marketplace to buy groceries. Many of the people around him think he's a sinner, think he's an awful sinner, think that he has no favor with God. And he probably doesn't even get to be with his family, if he has a family. In fact, one writer explains how many families who had someone in the family who had this disease, they often left food outside the house for this person. And he or she would make their way to pick up the food, but the family couldn't even make contact with the person. It's so unfortunate. You can imagine how alienated this man must have felt, how isolated he must have felt. Who knows how long he suffered from this disease? Who knows how long it had been? since he had actually shook someone's hand or touched someone or been touched by someone. If he was married, how long had it been since he had touched his wife? Or if he had children, how long had it had been since he had hugged his children? And that's why what happened next is so remarkable. Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. You see, that detail is not just a little detail to add to the interest of the story. Jesus extended his hand and touched this man, touched the untouchable. Jesus didn't have to, right? He could have healed the man a number of ways with no physical contact, but he did. And it was before Jesus healed him that he touched him. That's significant. I wonder how startled this man was when Jesus started to extend his hand to touch this man. Do you think he sort of backed up because people don't do that? No one touches me. Can you imagine how surprised he must have been? But this wasn't an accident. Jesus didn't just bump into him accidentally or brush up against him. No. Jesus purposefully and deliberately extended his hand to express mercy and kindness. With his touch, Jesus into, entered into this man's isolation, into his shame. That's Jesus. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us that with Jesus as our high priest, we don't have a high priest who can't relate to us who can't sympathize or empathize with us no the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4 verse 15 we have a high priest in Jesus who is able to sympathize able to empathize 
who understands what we're going through. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to have struggles. He knows our flaws, our failings. He knows what it's like to be human. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out and he blesses us and he touches us. That's what Jesus always did. The hands of Jesus blessed other people. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 19, the little children are coming to Jesus. People are bringing little children to Jesus for him to lay his hands on them and bless them. And some of the other adults there say, oh, wait a second, keep, keep those kids away. You know, this is serious business here. And Jesus says, no, you let those children come to me. And he lays his hands on them and prays over them. The disabled woman from Luke chapter 13, she couldn't stand up straight and Jesus heals her, but he doesn't just heal her, he touches her. Didn't have to. The two blind men from Matthew chapter 20 who are sitting on the road on the way to Jericho, Jesus restores their sight, but he does it by touching their eyes. Even his adversaries in Gethsemane, when they come to arrest Jesus, the servant of the high priest, is in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Peter draws his sword and cuts the man's ear off, probably not aiming for his ear. Maybe the man dodged. And what does Jesus do? He restores and heals the man. But the text says that he touches the man and heals him. Jesus blessed others with his touch. And if we are going to have the hands of Christ, we must do the same thing. With the hands of Jesus, we bless others. Throughout Scripture, physical contact, touch, meaningful touch, has played an important role in passing on a blessing, usually from one generation to the next generation. When Isaac blessed Jacob, there was an embrace and a kiss in Genesis 27. When Jacob wanted to pass on this blessing to his grandchildren, there was, again, an embrace and a kiss, but there was more. He placed his hand, one hand on the head of Ephraim and one hand on the head of Manasseh. And he prayed for God to bless them. In the Old Testament, this symbolic gesture of laying on of hands was so important, a tangible way of passing on a blessing, of being a channel of blessing, for God to provide and protect this other person, symbolized in the touch. That's why you sometimes will notice our shepherds up here praying with a group about to go on a mission trip. And many times our shepherds will put their hands on their shoulders as they gather around them. Or maybe when someone comes forward to confess sin or pray or ask for prayers of support, many times one or two of our shepherds will come down and again put their hands on the person's shoulder to convey concern, compassion, to extend mercy, to pass on a blessing. Blessing is conveyed by meaningful and appropriate touch. There's all kinds of research done on this. You've probably seen some of it. On infants who are raised void of touch and physical contact versus those who have touch and physical contact. As you can imagine, those children who have touch and physical contact always do better 
are always healthier. Research on physicians who simply, when they enter into the room to consult or examine a patient, just put a hand on the shoulder just for a second, or if it's in a hospital bed, put a hand on the person's foot, versus those who didn't make physical contact, those patients whom the doctor touched, they always do better. They always report being healthier. There is great blessing in meaningful and appropriate touch. That's why Jesus often touched people when he interacted with them or when he healed them. He wanted to bless them, to communicate and to convey his compassion for them, to extend mercy. He wanted to make a very real connection with them. And who did Jesus touch? So often it was the people that society said was untouchable. Just like this man from Luke chapter 5. You don't touch him. No one touches him. In fact, that's why we have him live out there. So we don't accidentally bump into him. So we don't touch anything he's touched. Jesus often touched those who were considered untouchable. You see, that's, that's a part of it. There are risks involved. For Jesus, certainly there was a risk in extending his hand to touch this man. Because when Jesus touched him in that moment, now Jesus was what? Unclean. He was socially, spiritually, ceremonially unclean. But Jesus was willing to risk that. So often, we're afraid to get involved. We're afraid to touch either literally or symbolically someone else. Even for the name and in the name of Christ. Because we know that people might think something of us. What are they going to say about us? People are messy. There are untouchables out there, right? If you're around in 1987, you may remember this famous photo taken of Princess Diana. She's at a hospital in London. The reason this photo is, is so famous is because this patient in the hospital, this man, is an AIDS patient. Patient. And in 1987, if you were around, you remember that AIDS was causing this great fear across the country, across the globe. And Princess Diana goes there, and without a glove on her hand, she reaches out and shakes this man's hand. And in so doing, she challenges the belief that AIDS and HIV can be transmitted simply by touch. And in that one moment, she sent a loud message worldwide. Why? Because she was willing to touch the untouchable. She was willing to risk so much. You see, meaningful, appropriate touch conveys blessing. Appropriate touch. Unfortunately, because there has been so much inappropriate physical contact in our world, and because now of the fear of having touch misinterpreted, physical contact is all but void in our society. Unfortunately, even in our homes sometimes, children aren't being touched by their parents. That's so unfortunate. Many people have missed out on receiving the blessing of meaningful and appropriate touch. That's why this story about the shooting in Florida that was mentioned earlier 
caught so many people's attention. On many levels, it was tragic. And it was a story of heroes. And it was a story of so many other things. But if you maybe saw the interview with the school principal, you may remember what he said afterwards as he talked about how they would get through this together. He basically offered to hug every single one of the 3,300 students and, by the way, their families because he knew that there was something about physical touch that communicates love and concern and care and compassion. We can use the hands of Christ to bless others. But that's not all that Jesus did. You see, when Jesus extended his hand and he touched the man with leprosy, when he touched the the, the blind man's eyes, he was doing more than just blessing them. He was doing more than just conveying his compassion to them, although he was doing that, and that's so important. He was healing them. He was doing the redemptive work of God in this world. And with the hands of Jesus, we too do the work of Jesus, the redemptive work of God in our world. How do we do that? What does that look like? It means we use our hands to serve others. As you know, we have two groups right now that are out on the mission field, out on mission trips, one in McAllen, Texas, way, way south Texas, and one in southeast Oklahoma. That's exactly what these groups will be doing this week. They will be using their hands, and they will be using their hands to do yard work, to repair houses, to paint houses, to do all these service projects. Why? So they can bless those people, yes. But you see, that is also the redemptive work of God in our world. It's restoring things that need to be restored. It's serving people in the name of Christ. It's embodying the gospel, even through the work of our hands. And after this week, I can assure you that many people on those trips will look at their hands and there'll be scrapes and maybe some bruises and maybe some blisters and maybe some, car, uh, some cuts and maybe some calluses. And those marks, those imperfections, will all be signs of the service they are providing in the name of Jesus, to do the redemptive work of God in our world. But don't misunderstand. You don't have to go on a mission trip to use your hands to do the work of Christ in our world. We have opportunities every single day, and so many of you do that. You prepare food for people. You do yard work and mow and, and, and help your neighbors and other people in need, elderly people and, and those who can't do it. You help people up and you offer a hug to people. There are so many ways that we can do the redemptive work of God in our world by using our hands. Many of you are familiar with Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey says about money that it is amoral, that it is neutral, that it's indifferent that you can use money to do bad things or you can use money to do good things. In many ways, our hands are the same way, aren't they? They are sort of indifferent because they are controlled by our brain, by our mind. And so I can use my hands to hit someone, to hurt someone, to harm them. 
I can use my hands to push someone down and to keep them down. I can use my hands to grab on to the things of this world and cling to them tightly. I can use my hands to slap someone, to hit someone. Or I can use my hands to help someone up. I can use my hands to serve someone, to bless someone. You see, you get to decide how you use your hands. Jesus chose to use his hands to bless others, to do his Father's will, to do the work of God, to advance the kingdom of God. And ultimately, it was the hands of Jesus that were used to do God's greatest work, that provided the greatest blessing of all, because it was Jesus' hands that bore the nails that held him to the cross. It was on that cross where Jesus died for you and he died for me to rescue you from your sins, to provide you with life the way God intended, life in deep fellowship with him, separated from your sins, full of salvation. So here we are today, standing on this side of the cross, standing on this side of the resurrection, And yet so often we doubt who God is and what God has done through Christ. We doubt. And because we doubt, we don't always live as we should. Our hands don't always do what they should. In so many ways, we are like Thomas, I think. The Thomas we read about in the Gospels. The Thomas who had to see for himself. You see, after Jesus was crucified, he was put in a tomb, but by the power of God, just as he predicted, he was raised back to life. And he appeared to several people. And some of his followers, his disciples, saw Jesus, but Thomas wasn't there. And they told him about it. Jesus is alive. Thomas said, I can't go there with you. I won't believe until I touch his hands. And then we have this in John chapter 20. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. He said, see my nail-scarred hands and know that I am real, that I am alive, and understand what I have done for you. Today, I'm inviting you to see and believe, to see the hands of Jesus that blessed so many people, to see the hands of Jesus that did the work of his heavenly Father, to advance the kingdom of God to see the hands of Jesus that bore the nails that held him on the cross where he died for you. See and believe. And allow that belief, that faith, to transform your life so that your whole life, your whole body, is committed to the service of the Lord, to the work of God, so that your hands are busy at work advancing the kingdom and blessing other people. 
We are the body of Christ. That is not just our identity. That is our calling. So let's be the body. As I said earlier, it it comes down to choices we make. We choose how we use our life, including our hands. The choices we make impact what we do and where we go, how we live. Choices we make every day. Today, would you make that choice to give your whole life to the one who gave his life to you? If you have not been baptized into Christ, been clothed with Christ, would you consider doing that today so that you can live fully devoted to him and to his service? Or maybe you made that decision long ago. You've been a Christian for a long time, but you know that your hands, that your life, is not always honoring God, especially maybe right now through a difficult season. Maybe we can help you. Maybe we can support you, pray for you, encourage you. We're happy to do that. If there's something that we can help you with today, or if today you're ready to give your life to Christ and be baptized into Christ, would you come forward as we stand now and sing? Have thine affections been nailed to the cross? Is thy heart right with God? Dost thou count all things for Jesus but loss? Is thy heart right with 